In today's episode, I talk to brand strategist and the man behind Grow Club newsletter, Mr. Will Poskett. If this is your first time here, I wish you a very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm sure you're going to. Will was a terrific guest. He's one of those people who has the amazing ability to make you feel like he's your best mate from just one chat. So I'm sure you're going to. Let me know your favourite bit on social media, at Interview everywhere you may look. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you are listening to this. It would also mean the world to me, and I'm sure will too, if you share this episode far and wide, there's probably at least one person you'll think of when listening who would benefit from also hearing it. So make sure to let them know. One quick request from me before we get to the good stuff with Will. If you find this podcast helpful, feel free to return the favour and help me by leaving a review or giving a rating on your podcast provider of choice. Now, on to the podcast. Will Poskett, a very, very warm welcome to Tenku Interview. I'm looking forward to this one very much. I'm a big fan of your newsletter, so thank you for taking the time today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. We'll crack straight on. Why newsletter? How did Grow Club get started? It's a great question, actually. Um, I think if I if I went right back to the beginning, you know, if, well, actually, if you ask my English teacher, would Will Poskett ever start, <laughs> start a newsletter, she'd probably laugh. She'd probably give that reaction and laugh. I just laugh because I think mine would probably say the same thing. <laughs> because... Um, and I appreciate you reading the newsletter, by the way. And you'll know, having read it, that there's quite a few typos in there and the grammar can be a bit funky at times. And that's because, yeah, I'm proudly dyslexic. Uh, I love being dyslexic. It allows me to be creative, think laterally, but it does mean my spelling is very shonky at times. So to answer your question, why newsletter? Despite being dyslexic, I fell in love with writing. Okay. Uh, run about 10 years ago, because I realized the more I write, kind of the better I get at my job, because kind of writing forces you to distill kind of your thought process. Yeah. So why did I, you know, why did I start Grow Club um, and why do I write a newsletter? Well, one is a really selfish reason, which is I basically just wanted to improve my own kind of writing ability, get my thoughts down on paper. But the second one, and probably the punchier answer is, uh, I'm not sure if you can swear on this podcast, but I'll swear and you can you, edit you, it out. You if you do yourself, Will, don't worry about it. Oh, there's gonna be a lot of swearing then. There's just a lot of bullshit online when it comes to marketing. Yes. Uh, and I remember, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, you see all these influencers with big followings, just talking absolute, you know, nonsense when it comes to marketing. Uh, and I, you know, and I used to, you know, and I'm sure we've all been frustrated about it. You reply in the comments and going, well, that's wrong. <laughs> what does that even mean? And it just doesn't get you anywhere. So I thought, right, if you can't, you know, if you can't beat them, you know, join them. So that's part of the reason is I'm just trying to bring a bit of like clarity and honesty to how marketing actually works. And for the listeners who don't know me, it's like, well, who the hell does this guy think he is? Like having that point of view. Well, I, I don't have all the answers, but mm. I've been fortunate to work at some of the best, you know, ad agencies in the world, like Widens and Droga, working with brands like Nike, Meta, Amazon. And I just, you know, I apply my experience of like strategy to kind of breaking down how amazing brands and scale-ups and sometimes like creators and how they grew, basically. So to answer your question, why a newsletter? Because I, because I used to be a terrible writer. I enjoy it. I'm trying to get better. Uh, yeah. and trying to cut through the bullshit of like marketing <laughs> online really so yeah have you have you known about your dyslexia for a long time no I found out quite late actually I was 18 at the time uh, prior to that my teachers thought I was lazy and had a bad attitude and they're like oh no 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 you just just dyslexic Gen- that's a generation I mean you how old are you if you don't mind me asking how old do you think I am have a guess I don't know I was gonna say 42 oh mate that's harsh I'm, I turned 40 um <sighs> last month actually, I am so. looking at you on a very tiny monitor yeah, oh, yeah. Trying to backtrack now. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an audio-only podcast, I hope. Yeah, it is now. <laughs> I'll get the filters out, don't worry. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like dyslexia. I mean, 
and there was a there's a kid in my class at school who's dyslexic and they said the same thing like lazy he used to always get sent to the headmaster and all sorts and I, 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 what I was trying to work out is if you think it held you back, but I'm, I, I'm kind of assuming it didn't too much. Yeah, I think I think in, it, it drove me forward in two ways. So my GCSEs were pretty average, to be honest. Okay. But A-levels, I got straight A's. And the reason for that is, um, I don't know, I've, I've got a real chip on my shoulder, maybe. <laughs> when, <laughs> when, when someone says... Prove, prove someone wrong. Exactly that, yeah. mate. Exactly that. So as soon as I found out, I'm like, well, I'm not stupid. So I just actually started working and applying myself. Okay. So that drove me forward, went to good uni, blah, blah, blah. And then... But also I do think like, um, you know, it's actually something I wrote in my newsletter today actually about like what is good strategy, like avo- what to avoid, with, you know, what to avoid if you want to write great strategy. Yeah. And actually I think one of the enemies of great strategy or great marketing is intellectualism, like almost being a bit too clever. Do you know what I mean? Yes, and I, I and do. I, and I think one thing dyslexics are fairly good at is kind of reduction, simplification, yeah. but also lateral thinking. So I think... Um, yeah, it does offer me a bit, you know, I think it gives me a unique skill set in the kind of the world that we're in, if, if that makes sense. I have, it's funny you say, bring that up, actually, because I, I'd never really spoken about that before. But I had a, that exact conversation with someone last week, and we we're talking about someone who's a bit of a know-it-all when it came to marketing. Yeah. And actually, me and this other person both agreed that in our independent ways, who knew this other person who thought that, I was like really surprised because he he wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's a, it's a thing you do see in marketing a lot. Oh yeah, there's a lot of um... it's like a confirmation bias almost when 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 something works and I mean it comes back to the whole kind of the LinkedIn um, guru thing, right? You get one one thing that works and it's like, right, that's what I'm going to sell. But in, yeah, in the wider scheme of things, it's not great. Niche down on it, yeah. No, there's definitely. Yeah. Uh, do you know what the Donald? Is it the Donald Kruger effect? Do you know? What yes. Yeah, there's a Dunning lot. Kruger, yeah, yeah. yeah Donald Kruger. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that in marketing. There's a lot of yes. that in marketing. I'm probably going to get cancelled after this episode, but at least I'm being on since though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, you said something about writing. Actually, I can't remember the exact phrase you used, but it says you wanted to do more writing to get stuff down. It made me think about journaling, and I was having that conversation with someone this morning about journaling. It's not something I do, but it's weird that you bring it up in the way you brought it up because it just made me think, am I missing out on something here? Because I don't really write enough, and I'm wondering if it's like a, a superpower hack that I'm missing out on. Well, that's a good question. Uh, well, you'd, <laughs> you'd have to talk to my partner. I definitely don't journal. I'm probably one of the most chaotic, disorganized people you meet, actually. Okay. Uh, that's definitely why I ended up being a strategist and not like an account person. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty hectic, but, but there is like, um, there is a discipline with writing. Yeah. Um, you know, it forces, um, it forces kind of clarity of thought, reduction, simplicity, and, well, I mean, it's like anything in life, you know, the more you do it, the better you get. Like, um, as I was saying at the beginning, you know, before we went on air that, you know, I watch your YouTube channel and it is that the more you do it, the easier it gets and the better you get. And I think it's the same with a newsletter and writing. The more, the more you do, the better you get. And, you know, it's just like, but it's a long game, you know, like yeah. it's, it, it's, it's the compounding effect. It's going to take years, not, not months. So it's, and it gives you discipline, like to, to have to force yourself. God, it sounds awful. Like I force myself to, I enjoy writing it, but yeah. you know, cause I write it on a Sunday often Okay. and to force myself to write, one and a half thousand words or whatever is it's not easy and it forces discipline. And I think, you know, I think we listen to a lot of similar podcasts, don't we, Chris? And there's, yeah. a, there's a theme that comes up time and time again, which is consistency. And I think discipline and consistency. So I don't think writing or journaling is a superpower, but I think consistency and discipline 
is a is a superpower. And I think the newsletter. I hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. And I think the newsletter for me, for me, does that. Might not do it for everyone, but that's part. You know, that's a good a good reason why I do it as well. Yeah. How often on a Sunday do you think? Oh, I just can't be bothered. Every Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> no. But that's the that's the power, right? And and I, I wasn't asking you that to set you up because I knew what the answer would be. Yeah. It's like, it's like you mentioned my YouTube channel, or even my podcast. For, for you know, the amount of times I think, oh, maybe I'll just put this off till like next week or whatever. But then you don't because you've got that rigid structure in place and you always feel better when you've done it. Do you know one of the best, it's funny you say that actually, because I started the newsletter in January Yeah. and it used to be, I try for the first month I did it every week, I got burnt out. And then, and I was like, look guys, I'm really busy. I'll do it every other week. And then I I dropped off for a month at one point because we want a bunch of new clients or whatever Mm -hmm. and my agency defiant. But then... When I was on holiday, I went on holiday in uh, beginning of August and I got so much positive responses from readers. And I, that's what drives me forward, really. Like, they were, yeah. oh, this is great, blah, blah, blah. And then what I was like, I actually called it out in public. I'm like, moving forward, every Monday morning, you're going to get a newsletter from me, which is going to be high value, breaking down brands, scale-ups, creators, and that. And I think there is a thing whereby if you say it in public, you yes. have to do it. It's similar. Where, I'm not going to talk about my agency much, but it's similar with my agency, like... Um, I was so scared to launch an agency in a way because like advertising is a ruthless business and there's a lot of very talented people. And I was scared about putting myself out there. Yeah. Like, why is he starting an agency and, and so on and so forth. But the minute that I proclaimed it on LinkedIn or the, the minute that I made it public, I, I was like, I was in, I had to do it. Cause I, you know, yeah. it's like, I was all in sort of thing. And it's similar to the newsletter. So I think it is hard. It, yeah. To be really like honest with you, it's really hard. And there are many a Sunday where I'm like, I just want to go back to bed or I want to watch, or I want to watch, <laughs> The Bear, I don't know if you're watching The Bear at the moment, highly recommend, or watch The Bear. Um, but then, because I've put, called myself out in public, I have to commit to it, do you know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. That accountability is a powerful thing, isn't it? Massive, massive, yeah. What, um, because you changed it recently, didn't you? It was, you changed the newsletter. Was that back as a result of when you stopped it? No, do you want, there's actually a bit of sleight of hand that I'm doing with the name. Should I tell you the truth behind the name? Yeah, go for it. And it might offend some of your listeners. So, uh, for Chris's sake, please don't tune off at this point when I when I when I say the honest truth. Or, or you can start commenting uh, on for engagement on uh, LinkedIn. Even, even better, Chris is a, Chris is a seasoned pro. I'm a, I'm fr- wet behind the ears at podcast to be honest. You at will. <laughs> so, so the 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 newsletter was originally called Future Famous because. You know, not to bore you all with it, but fame has been proven to be the biggest driver of brand growth, right? So it was kind of aligned with that. Mm-hmm. Since I started my own agency, we've done a lot of work with scale-ups and startups. And there is, as you know, this whole kind of growth hacking, growth marketing thing. Yeah. And I, and I realized quite quickly that it's almost like we're speaking two languages with these people. Yes. Do you know what I mean? They have this whole kind of like growth mantra that they, some of them even look down at traditional legacy marketing like, oh, it's not right. You know, the amount of times in a meeting, it's like, yeah, but you've worked with big brands. You don't get it. I'm like, yeah, all right, mate. So the the whole point of calling it Growth Club is to lure in those people from a scale up startup space, right? And then and then reveal to them actually what works. So it's a bit of a hook. It's a bit of a clickbait to drive them in in a way. Ah, uh, okay, fair enough. Um, I kind of hate. And sorry if I offend anyone, uh, and even you, Chris. If I say this, I kind of hate the name Growth Marketing, and I kind of hate the name Growth Club because the reason is all forms of marketing deal in growth. So I don't mm-hmm. see. I mean, in a way, growth marketing is genius. It's the best rebrand of a job title ever. But it kind of frustrates me at the same time as well. If that makes I, sense. I, I'm with you, Will. I agree. I think growth, I mean, we're getting into the weeds now. In my opinion, <laughs> growth right. is marketing, but marketing isn't necessarily growth. 
Yeah. Like there's so many different levers you can pull to grow. Yeah. Product, brand, tech, um, all sorts. And it's weird, actually. This debate comes up a lot. I'm in a few marketing WhatsApp groups. Mm. It comes up a lot. And, it, and you go on LinkedIn, you see jobs and stuff being posted. A lot of people think that growth is just marketing. And it's not. It well, what a, okay, well, what, what does growth do that marketing doesn't? That'd be good to understand, though. Um, I think growth can look at different ways of growing, not just marketing. For instance... Um, user journey, you might improve the user journey and then that could have a huge impact on conversions. That's not what marketing is. Um, so when, when, when I worked at big agencies, we used to do UX, user experience, customer journeys. That's how we would do that. Okay. Head of your time then, obviously. <laughs> I don't know. I meant, maybe just want to make more money out of clients. I don't know. One of two. <laughs> maybe. I don't yeah. know. I, I think... I Again, I don't know. It's a big topic. I think, in my opinion, marketing is looking at sort of more campaigns, more social, more um, brand awareness. Whereas I look at growth, that think, and I think that that incorporates all that. But I think there's other stuff that can be done. Um, yeah, it might be you know ref- referrals, revenues. I like to look at the um, the pirate metrics in growth, a- um, acquisition, activation, revenue, referral, and Oh man, my mind's gone blank now. The last one. Uh, <laughs> shit. I think it, maybe, maybe we can agree on one thing, which is I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to like often there isn't tightly defined what marketing is and what growth is. And maybe that's where the confusion lies. So for yeah. me, I, it's interesting what you define marketing as because I personally would have a different definition of marketing. Mine, by the way, isn't necessarily right or wrong. It's just the way I've been taught, right? So for Four me, P's. yeah, the four P's, it's more yeah. expansive than promote. So everything you mentioned about marketing for me would be promotion, but you still got place. Uh, price and product as well right yeah. so yeah but to answer yeah, your question I, I, you're probably right it's probably just a very good rebrand that has allowed other people to go and get pay rises or i think a lot of it's come from america from silicon valley and, and 100 startup world 100 i think you're spot on i think a lot of it comes from america the west coast because it's all that tech it's like that tech mm. tech sort of like uh, tech vernacular isn't it yes like, come on guys we've got to grow right grow well, grow yeah i mean i guess it validates completely why you change the name of your newsletter doesn't it because yeah the market you're trying to interact with is seeing it as a different thing when actually it's pr- it's pretty much the same but yeah yeah 100 it's um it's a definition kind of problem yeah that's uh that was gonna be my next newsletter so i can't write about that it's gonna explain why i called it growth club, but i guess i've ruined that one never mind go for it <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about so sunday rolls around and you know you've got to stick out your one and a half thousand words or however many you want to put out. How do you come up with an idea of what to talk about? What's your brainstorming process, research? How, how do you go about all that sort of stuff? It's a really good question. It depends on uh, it depends on what I'm writing. So probably the longest thing I ever wrote, which I question whether it was worth the effort, was that um, I wrote this really long piece that I, th- I think you were saying you've read already, which is community community building as a con. Yes. So don't don't don't. To your listeners, don't worry. I do actually highly advocate building a community. It's again a clickbait title to make the people read and be a bit outraged. Yeah. So, you know, that that was a lot of research. So that was like taking the classical Byron Sharp, Les Burnett yeah. stuff and trying to reconcile it with the, the world of Colin and Samir and all the stuff I love, essentially. So that, I mean, that was two weeks in the making. That was a lot of, a lot of what I would even argue that's based on my like 15 years experience of like being in, on the other side of the fence and big, big brands, right? And traditional marketing. But then like most of my newsletters, 
and they take around about a day. So I'm pretty fast, to be honest. Okay. Uh, so I look at the one I did on Oatly that would, you know, cause I work with a lot of clients. I use Oatly a lot as a case study of like a great challenger brand or a brand that really nailed like strategy and creative to, to scale and grow. Yeah. So that one I had in, in my head and it was just a question of getting it down. So normally about a day. So I spend half the day, uh, researching, getting some good data quotes. And then I just kind of, cause I've been doing it a long time. I can write it pretty, I've written you know, you get to a point in your career, we've done it a lot and it's just, yes. it's kind of second nature. So the research is run about three quarters of a day and I can get it down in about a quarter of a day, actually. So a couple of hours. Yeah. Pretty quick. That's why there's so many typos. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with typos necessarily. It's, I'm going to use that annoying word authenticity, but it's, it is you, right. And it is you, you are dyslexic. Like it's just partly you. And I think that sometimes you can polish stuff so much it actually loses its magic. Yeah. I do want to ask you something, mm. a phrase you just used, is it worth it? And I guess my thought behind that is a day of your time, that other one you said took you a long, long time. I'm trying to work out whether the whole newsletter space is worth it these days, because it's very competitive and everyone mm. seems to be doing it. I love this question. I love this question so much. You are so right. It feels like everyone is setting up a newsletter right now, right? Yeah. It's like everywhere you look is like three times a week, we're going to email you five tips, how to be more yeah. productive, da, 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 da. But I think, you're, I think you're right. It's more competitive than ever, but in any market, there's always, a, you know, you're more experienced than me, Chris, in marketing. And you, you know better than I do. Like there's always a white space in any market. So yeah. I, I feel there's still a big white space for fewer, bigger, better content. So I don't spam your inbox three times a week. It's one time a week of high value, high quality, well-written, well-researched based on experience okay. newsletter. Because if you look at the vast majority of newsletters, well, I don't know. I've, I'm not, I've not well, let me ask you, how, how many do you read? Or is there any that stick out for you? Yeah, there's a couple that I love. I mean, my favorite is a guy called, um, if you haven't read it, um, I highly recommend it. It's called Digital, uh, Digital Native by Rex Woodbury. So yes, he, I do get that, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. So I... I pride myself on writing a good newsletter, but this guy, he does it every week as well. Okay. He's in the, he does like more of a venture capitalist sort of investment, digital trends sort of thing. But I don't know how he does it. Like the amount of like research and it's just like a white paper almost every week. And will you read that every week without yeah, fail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Zoe Skamen's very good. She's less frequent these days writing, but she really led the, um, you got to give her credit to be fair. Like, um, she wrote the original sort of blueprint, uh, for the creator economy coming from a traditional marketing background. She writes a phenomenal newsletter. She, she only writes every probably like three or four times a year, but she's fantastic as well. I read all okay. her stuff. Uh, but Rex and Zoe, fantastic. Um, but to answer your question, I think, yeah, it's more saturated than ever, but it's, you know, why I would, I would, I'll ask you a question. Why are you starting on YouTube? That's more competitive than ever. You know, there's, there's always a white space. And if you're consistent and deliver value, yeah. I think you can, you can win the long game. Maybe. Maybe, I mean, maybe if we chat in a year's time and I gave it up, you, you can say, well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to skip a question then and we'll come back to it in a minute. What are your goals with it? Do you have any goals? Do you think about that sort of stuff? Not really. That's, you know, I, <laughs> so I did a philosophy degree at universities, but so I was going to get a bit philosophical with this, but I'll try not to. But, <laughs> uh, you know, so I turned 40 a month ago and I look back at the first 40 years of my life Um one of the biggest mistakes I always did is I always had to have like a, a stupidly ridiculous big goal yes, and then strive towards it. And I'd often fail because it was so unachievable that I never do it. And then 
my, my, I read a really good book, I'm sure you've read it, called Atomic Habits. Yeah. Uh, and that really just shifted my mindset where stop thinking about big lofty goals and just be consistent and take action every single day. So I have no end game with Grow Club. I just want to see how much action and consistency I can take. So there's no, there is no, or maybe that's naive and a bit stupid, but there is no, no end game. No, it's not naive or stupid. I think that is a, an amazing answer. And, it, and the reason I think it's an amazing answer because my, my philosophy is the same with both this podcast and my YouTube channel. Good to hear, mate. I, I look back on some, and I've mentioned this before, but I look back on some of the things I've done in the past yeah. and given up for whatever reason. And I just think, oh my, where would I be if I just kept going? I know, right? And it's, it's, an, it's an overlooked, that is a superpower, I think. Yeah, that, that it's what we said about before, you know, we're talking about consistency and stuff. I mean, mm. that is like, for me, it's the most important thing. Like if you can crack that, you're onto a winner. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no end game with uh, Grow Club. It's just consistency. So to any of your readers that end up, uh, any of your listeners that end up reading my newsletter, like if I don't turn up on a Sunday and, you know, if you don't get the email on a Monday, call me out, call me out. Like, <laughs> it's good. Keeps me, keeps me straight. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you then. So where, and I should probably ask myself the same question, but when, at what point does that change? I thought, you know, you're going to be sitting there at, 80 something in the old people's home still writing it with, you know, without a goal or is there going to be, well, I'll be dead before then. To kind of... <laughs> but you know what I mean? I, I'm not saying you should have a goal and I totally agree with you. I'm just being devil's advocate, I suppose. But at some point there has to be a reason or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Don't think it does. Do you play sport, Chris? Or do you, what? Yeah. Yeah. What do you play golf or football? What do you play? I used to play football when I was younger and a little bit more agile. I, I'm, tennis golf cycling snowboarding so i'd ask the same question about your sports like what you know did you ever think you're going to be a, you oh know? that's that's if you enjoy it right that's 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 i guess that's the well i do enjoy it because even okay. though yeah to go back to your previous question which was like do you ever feel like you don't want to write it and i was like yeah 100 yeah. percent. There, there is pleasure in pain like i again like a big shift in my mentality over the last couple of years has been like don't seek instant gratification or pleasure even though like um i find it a struggle Mm. There is there is huge enjoyment, which is different from pleasure, in turning yeah. up and doing it every week, and um, and also like it's a bit cheesy, but like you know I sent out one this morning and I got like five emails going, this is great. Someone called me out on LinkedIn going, this is the best thing I've read on strategy in a while, blah blah, and um, that's what keeps me going. Do you know what I mean? That for me do, yeah. is is enough motivation to keep going. I get more enjoyment. That is greater than the pain that it takes to write every week, and it's. I've been so middle class in like first world problems. It's not pain, is it? I'm not like down a mine digging coal. Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. I'm writing words on a piece of paper. Like, it's not that hard. Yeah. No, it's funny. I was just laughing because my wife kind of laughs at me, like, because I've started this YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. And I've got I don't know sixty something subscribers. But well, well done, mate. By the way, that's not easy. Congratulations. Thank you. But every time someone comments, or or a random comment, someone I don't know comments. It's like that dopamine rush is just unbelievable. And I said to her, I, was like, I don't know when that, these these bigger YouTubes, you know, with millions of subscribers, they still get that or has it become like a, almost a chore? And I said, it's almost a shame that, I mean, don't get me wrong, I do want to grow it, obviously. But at some point, I guess on that growth journey, you lose that uh, intimate thing where, I don't know, some random from Brighton goes, oh, I did this, this and this on my park run. And I was like, oh, that's wicked. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's like that... You know, just that random person reaffirming that they've watched it and they actually paid attention to it. Yeah, yeah. 
But it's hard, isn't it? I think you're right. Yeah. You lose that intimate intimacy is a great word. You lose that. Yeah. I have no. I'm, I I don't imagine I'll ever get that big to be honest. But I I don't know how you can even manage against that to be honest. It's it's yeah. quite hard. Yeah. And so I mean, when you said you got your five emails back in reply, that I I instantaneously knew how much of a buzz you'd have got reading those. Yeah. No, it means a lot. Like it's fun. Do you know the funny thing is like if you read some of my previous editions on the newsletter, like. Sometimes I just slightly lose my mind when I'm writing it because you get into a hypnotic state. And there's moments when I'm like, oh, it'd be great if someone could leave a comment or reply to me. Like, I don't know if I'm just like, right, you know, screaming into the void and anyone's yeah, yeah. actually reading this. Because I do, I used to worry that no one's actually reading it. And you, know, you can look at the metrics, like, you know, you get a good open rate, but, but, um, but you're like, is anyone actually, does anyone actually care? So that's why it's great when, to point, like, when you get a reply, it's like, Oh yeah, actually spending my Sunday doing this. Someone well. cares, right? Even yeah, if it's just cares. one person. I, I can't remember the phrase you used earlier, something about volume and about uh, just that what one person replying is just amazing. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you talk about metrics and stuff. What um, what do you use to write your newsletter? Uh, pretty old school, really. I just use. Um, I'm a big fan of Google Docs, so I'll write it in a in a in a Google Word. You know the G, yeah. the Google version of Word. I write it in yeah. that. I've got Grammarly, which is uh, Dyslexia's best friend, so that's good. Uh, and then, like, I use Beeh- Beehive's amazing for publishing. So I recently moved from Substack to Beehive for a couple of reasons. Um, the first being that um, it's just a lot more powerful from a metrics point of view. So you can like really delve into your individual subscribers, like what they've okay. opened, what they haven't. You can automate stuff. So if someone hasn't read something in twenty-one days, you can like say, you know, I, I literally set up an automation email yesterday. Going, did I offend you? They yeah, clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> clickbait email headline and then it's like you haven't read da, da, da. please subscribe you don't want to be part of um and also they've got this great thing have any of those have any of those gone live yet so the automation's gone live now but um okay. i think it's 21 days from today when it when i set up the uh, okay. so, so you'll be getting an email soon chris saying why haven't you read it no, no, uh, I, read this uh, morning. <laughs> I i'd be i'd be interested to know how that works because i think i was reading somewhere about cleaning up your subscriber list and getting rid of because basically then your you're telling the email provider, you get better ratios to your email providers and it sort of gives a bit of a better sign. Yeah. And I guess there's no point putting in someone's inbox if they don't want it. It's just a waste of everyone's time, isn't it? Yeah, so you're totally right. So it's always a balance between like uh, total readership size versus open rate. So at the moment, mm-hmm. I'm about, about 58% open rate, which is pretty good. That's but, great. But that's because I'm still quite small. So we're about 2,800 readers at the moment. But as you get bigger, it's that's interesting gonna... you call that small. I think that's... It's a, it's a, it's a it's what is an, good? That's let me ask well, that's you, an interesting discussion point, right? Because I what think is good? What is good? Yeah, like what you, is, yeah. you take the Lenny's out of the equation, you've probably got millions. Yeah, like if I'd said to you back in you know, say you started in January, if I'd said to you back then, oh, you know, you're gonna have nearly 3,000 subscribers, yeah, you'd have bitten my hand off, I suspect. Don't know, I'm probably gonna come across like an arrogant, so I thought I'd do better because I'm very, yeah. I th- I'm not saying that. I didn't mean like, did you, as in, as in what is better, I guess. That's probably a better way of asking the question. Yeah, it's a great question. And I, and I guess my idea of good is changing, actually. So okay. I was, you know, when I first started on this journey, I used to look at the people with like the 100,000 followers on LinkedIn and the big newsletters. Hmm. I was like, and I was like, I want that, right? But then, but then I, I had a great conversation with someone. I won't name them, but I had a great conversation with someone the other week. Where he's like, why do you care about having like you've you've you're chasing vanity metrics? Like, why why do you want to go after um, such a large audience? Actually, it's it's far better to have a valuable audience. So that, that idea. So for me, like, 
and you probably know this already, what a lot of people do to grow their newsletter is they'll repost their content on Reddit forums and stuff like that. Yes. But you end up just getting a really low value audience because it's just like randos on the internet, right? But, and I, I was so tempted at one point to go down that road, but I held off. And now that's, you know, to go back to the other point about compounding and slow and steady wins the race sort of stuff. Yeah. So for me, it's about, yeah, I want to grow. I mean, I'd love to in maybe three years have 10,000 or whatever, but I want it to be a high value audience with a good open rate. There's no, there's no point having another, to go to your point about previous point about competition, there's no point having a newsletter of 50,000 readers with a 30% open rate and they're all, you know, yeah. the people that aren't my target market or people that I want to build a community with, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. Okay. And Beehive, we'll just put on that quickly. You rate that, do you? Yeah, I used to be on Substack. They're doing, they're doing some pretty amazing things by the sounds of it. They, they seem to be everywhere at the moment. Yeah, they're crushing it. So I used to be on Substack, which Substack is great, by the way. It's like super easy to write with. It's like you can see copy and paste it and get they do GIFs and stuff. Beehive has got that same ease of use, but it's just like it's got a great growth engine behind it. So the, you know the guys who founded it, right? Their story. Yeah. So the yeah. guys the guys who grew Morning Brew, uh, which I think sold for like $75 million. I mean, yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. Sold for $75 million. They set up more um, Beehive with a with the idea of creating a newsletter, which is easy to write, but has a great growth engine behind it, basically. So yes. that's what I love about it, yeah. What, um, if you, I don't know if you don't want to ask, I'll let it out, but what, what plan are you on? I'm on the, I, I went all in. So I went on the, the, the scale, I think it's called scale plan, which okay. is the top, which is the top plan. Okay. Uh, and what that gives you is it gives you more detailed metrics uh, right. and it allows you to have a custom domain. So, you know, instead of having growclub.beehive.com, it's just like, growclub.com essentially and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah yeah and it also opens up the the growth side of things as well doesn't it yeah there's a thing called boosts on there which i'm not i've not had time to look at it properly but basically you can you can pay per to gain a subscriber okay. but a high a high value subscriber um but i haven't turned that tap on yet i think if i ever get to the point of spon if i ever got sponsorships yeah if i could get a sponsor for my newsletter i'd reinvest all that capital back into boosts i think into, into okay. growing it, yeah. i think you can do it the other way as well right so you can advertise on yours to i think that's what i saw is and i think that's how people were doing it. they were advertising on their own to then fund advertising i mean it's a great growth growth hack i guess yeah, yeah I've, i tried it's, it's funny you say that yesterday i was trying to do that i applied for a couple of being a booster, you know, getting paid to boost a couple of newsletters. Yeah. But I might have been a bit ambitious. I think they're all like 30,000 readers and they all just said no. So I might have to aim a bit lower. Oh, is that how it works? Is it you have to yeah. you have to get them to sign off and Yeah, you know what it's like. It's the same on LinkedIn. Have you noticed how all the big LinkedIn people only shout out big LinkedIn people? It's like yes. a, it's this like race to the top, isn't it? So yeah. Like, yeah. So okay. Got to get a bit bigger first. So if your listeners are listening and they're interested, subscribe so I can get on the boost. I will, and obviously <laughs> I will link to it in the show notes. Yeah. And yeah. Definitely. Um, I tell you, I've, I've messed my questions up now, so I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. You talked about metrics. So I'm assuming the very fact that metrics are important to you, you do analyze what's worked, what hasn't worked, look, to, look at each performance of every email you send out. Yeah, 100%. Um, there is no logic or rhyme or reason to it, though. So... I probably shouldn't. I'm far too honest. But sometimes I'll rush out and use that and go, oh, that's not my best. <laughs> We've and all I, been there, mate. All been I, there, whether it's a social post, a YouTube video, whatever, and, and it does well, right? And it does really well. And then yeah. other times I'll like really take my time, like this is the one, right? This is the one. We're, we're going to be Stephen Bartlett after this. It's going to be massive. Yeah. And I get like 10 unsubscribes at the end of it. And I just can't work it out. So yeah, I do check the analytics, but I certainly haven't got a blueprint for what works and what doesn't. 
I, I do. I think what does help, and it's all like obvious advice that people will know already, is like have a consistent time that you deliver. So when you sign up yeah. to my email, as you as you probably know, it, it says like every Monday morning, half eight, you'll get this newsletter. It'll be high in value. Also, give me a follow on LinkedIn because you can ask me questions. Da, 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 da. So I think having a consistent, it's like a TV show. Like I think you've got to treat it like a TV show or, you know, you've got to have like a, this is the time it will be delivered. Because you made a great point before, which is like our, our inboxes are full of junk and it's like, you've got to get people ready to look for it at that time. Yeah. And I think that helps. But in terms of the content that works and doesn't work, don't know if you ever figure it out, Chris. Let me know because I, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I, I I have the same conversation often. You put something out and you think this is the one. This is going to go, and then it's tumbleweeds, and then you just you put out a lazy one, and then it suddenly it's like, what's the point? Well, um, out of curiosity, why did you why did you um, decide on Monday mornings? That's a great question. That's a really good. I, I still not, I'm not sure if, whether it's the right idea. I, I, maybe as a reader, I'd get your feedback now on this actually. I, I, it's interesting what you said about the, the regular, there, there's a handful of emails that I read regularly. Like, you know, I, I've signed up to loads of newsletters. I really am. I, I far more than I actually read and I'll admit that, but there's, there's a handful that get re- read every time they come and they, two of them in particular come on a Friday morning hmm. at about seven o'clock. One is, uh, previous guest of podcast, Danny Denhard. He has must reads newsletter. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the upshot, which is a sports, um, sports email. They just talk about degenerate sports people, but it's, it's quite funny and interesting, but both those come out and they, it's good. It's, in, it's just funny. You say it because they, they come out on Friday morning and I know every Friday, if I'm up early enough, I'll get my coffee and I'll read them. If not, as soon as I drop the kids off at school, that's the first thing I do. And it's the analogy you said about the TV show, which I found really interesting because as I can't remember if this was before we started recording or not, but we were talking about uh, YouTube and, and live TV and, and live yeah. TV. Yeah. But when I was younger, that was the thing, right? There's stuff on and you would, you would make sure you were there every time to watch it. Yeah. Match of the day, all that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, get, I mean, I, I think Monday, I mean, I read yours every Monday. And interestingly, I hadn't twigged that it came out every Monday. I don't know why I hadn't oh. twigged that, although I do read it. Um, but the fact that it's Monday morning, I don't think it's a problem. Like, I don't think there's... Well, do you not think, I mean, maybe if it's all right, I can ask your listeners. If anyone, you know, any of your listeners, I'd just like to do a quick bit of market research. Drop in the comments. Um, when is the best time? When do you have the most free time to read a newsletter? So I used to deliver it on a Sunday. I used to deliver it on a Sunday. Yes. And if I'm if I'm being really honest, my engagement was higher then. So I can I, see that, I, and I worry that because it's on a Monday morning, it just gets in the backlog of emails. And maybe I'm I am considering moving the day that I put it out, maybe back to a Sunday or a Friday morning is a good shout as well. To be. Yeah, I guess backlog of emails, people getting ready for school, work. Yeah. Um, Monday mornings generally are pretty busy. I can see why Sunday would be powerful. Yeah. There's there's certain ones I get every Sunday evening that I notice. I don't know. I guess when it's your target audience as well, right? I mean, can you, can you, or do you segment on location? Yeah. Amer- so weirdly, um, maybe it's cause I've grown a lot via LinkedIn, but a lot of it's America. So America and a little bit in Australia, but mainly America is right. where, uh, where most of my audience readers okay. are from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the answer is just to test it, see what, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'll put it out on Sunday and if I fall to like 10% open rate, I'll uh, revert back to my <laughs> 
I don't know. I mean, I, I was having this conversation with a previous guest about the power of commuting had on content. So I yeah. used to listen to a lot of podcasts on my commute and I no longer commute. I work from home. Mm-hmm. So I don't do that anymore. And as a result, my podcast listening has gone through the floor mm. much to my, I don't like it. Um, and I guess it's the same as emails. Newsletter. I used to read a lot on the train, um, whether that's books, blog posts, emails, whatever. I don't know. Well, maybe I should aim, God, this is a bit like, well, I'm a bit full of myself, but maybe like Sunday, I should go for Sunday because it's more of like a Sunday supplement, isn't it? You know, like you read the business yeah. section of the Times or whatever. It's not that, by the way, readers, it's not, this is it's not <laughs> like, it's Put not. Put yourself on a pedestal there, it's, Will. <laughs> it's more like, it's, it's, it's more like the fun day Times maybe, but, um, but there ain't, no, I'm just trying to work out, you know, we're both. Marcus. I guess the counter to that is would people see it as a work related thing? Hmm. Well, I'm not saying I do. I think it's interesting, but well that, obviously a use case of one's not a. Well, that's what I would say. I mean, lots of respect for Professor Byron Sharp, but he, you know, it's, it's a tough read his, his work, isn't it? So I'm definitely mm. not like that. I do try and write it in a lot more kind of, you know, you, you've seen the way I write. Like it's a lot more kind of like conversational, isn't it? I like to think. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's not too heavy reading, but it's a good point. Like maybe it's a bit too. Yeah, maybe people want to like not think about brands on a Sunday. To be honest. I mean, why does it have to be a Sunday or a Monday? What's, what's... It could be any day. Can it? I mean, I know guys who do really, some people who do really well put it on a Wednesday morning. Like digital, mm-hmm. uh, the digital native one I mentioned by Rex, I think yeah. it's every Wednesday morning. At the moment, the reason it's on a Monday, to be honest, is because I, I work incredibly hard from Monday to Thursday with my clients. Right. And then Friday is the day that I'm like, no meetings on a Friday. Although that's increasingly getting disrespected. <laughs> uh, uh, and I write on a Friday, but... There's no reason I couldn't write it on a Friday, put it out on a Wednesday. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, or, or a Friday. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. So about the digital native Rex, I didn't know that came out on a Wednesday morning either. But I read that regularly, and I'm trying to work out in my head why I know that those two come out on a Friday morning, and I and I'm not quite as aware of other ones coming out at certain times because I think if you can get that cadence trigger, frequent, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in someone's head then that's the game changer do they call it out on their newsletter so you know like at the top of mine it's like welcome to blah but do they call it out at the top of the top of the phone um let's have a look i don't know i mean it might be that because i know danny and i've had him on the podcast i don't know like it's it could be this but over time it's, it's it's become a thing i don't know but that that's the key isn't it if you can get that train people to believe that every time um that's interesting if you because ha- sub stack still comes up there wow that's interesting yeah go on sorry no i was gonna say it's habit form because uh, on the yeah. one on the one side i think like this idea of live tv or, or programmatic tv what i mean by that is like people tuning in at a certain time for a tv show is kind of on the decline however i do believe in this trying to establish a habit like, yes. you know, it's, it's interesting what you said about those two new letters on a Friday. You set time aside yeah. on a Friday to read it. And that is the, if I could achieve anywhere near that, that would be amazing. But I'm still well, trying to figure that out. I guess, I guess the, the streaming digital version of that is, so I don't know if you're familiar with the program, um, Only Murders in the Building. No, I've not heard of that. No. It's on Disney. It's got Steve Martin, um, Selena Gomez and Martin Short. And it's like, it's, it's a very good program. But the new series came out of that a couple of weeks ago, and it comes out every Tuesday. So it hasn't got that time definition, but every Tuesday evening we're watching that. 
There you go. Similar thing. Um, Danny's must read says must read is delivered every Friday morning. There you go. It's imprinting in your brain, isn't it? That yeah. It, yeah. Maybe, I think I, that's maybe... the key. I think that's the key. I think if you can get people to be expecting it and waiting for it. I tell you what. I tell you what. I'm going to do. Study. In the in the newsletter next week, I'm going to put a little survey in uh, and then see what people say. Like which you know when is a good time and see what if I get any responses on that. And then I'm going to experiment with it because I'm always trying yeah. to drive that open rate a bit high. I mean, I'm at sixty percent now, which is really good. But like, if I can get it even higher, that would be amazing. Yeah. Well, not only that, but it provides a bit of content for you, right? So it's a case study for future for future editions. Yeah, yeah. Like analyze my own newsletter. It's like meta. Yeah, yeah that'd be interesting. <laughs> That's trendy, <laughs> that is. Okay. What's something you struggle with or find tough? Beyond the newsletter and life. <laughs> well, depends how open you want to be, Will. Um, about the newsletter. About the newsletter. Uh, I think it's the thing I, It's the thing that I struggle with the most, but it, as we talked about, it's the most beneficial. Is It's just turning up and consistency. Yeah. You know, it's getting, don't get me wrong, it gets easier over time, um, but it's still hard. You know, when it's 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning, it's like deep breath okay <laughs> and how, I, how, how many times has it gone from being oh i don't really fancy this to flirting with that's it I'm not last one or I'm not doing it anymore um well it's been a i think since i've rebranded it and i've forced myself to go every week it's it's yeah. been all right since then i think when we want to load a new clients in my agency um kind of the end of may beginning of june and i was just looking at the roadmap of work we've got coming in my company and i'm like I need a day. I need a day off. Do you know what I mean? So that that was probably the last big time I was like, "Am I really going to do this?" Uh, and then I went on holiday for two weeks, which, as you know, really helps and it reset yeah. me. So it's really good. I think the other thing. I think the longer term thing I am going to find difficult, uh, and it's going to be a challenge to my content, is running out of interesting brands to talk about. Yeah. So I think like the one I did this week was more generalist about like what is good strategy, how to avoid, you know, the three red flags to avoid in bad strategy. Um, so that's why you know I might have to broaden my. Like, I guess the way around that is you could almost, and this might lead on to my next question, but you could mm. almost find boring brands and how you would make them interesting, or how they could. That's a great idea. So on that note, how much does your newsletter tie in with Defiant and vice versa? Have you had any people who have come to Defiant as a result of of seeing your newsletter, or have you had anyone? you've had in the sales funnel cross the line because of the newsletter has there, has there been any crossover not really i think we've had like a bit of warm leads um yeah. you know that you know this though from your experience like you know to get a big client it's a long lead time right yeah so the, the newsletter has only been going eight months so we've had a couple of bites nothing it's not like going to change the world of new business i don't think i don't think big agencies have anything to worry about you know what i mean we're not like we haven't got nike re- you know there are a few people from nike reading it but like no one from nike's like gone right Let's do some things. So, yeah. um, for me, it's not, it's less about a lead immediately generation thing. Um, what was your, sorry, I lost my trail. I thought there. So what were you saying? Sorry, before I was just trying to work out if there was any relationship between the newsletter and defiant. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, I've had a bit of interest, nothing major. I think the more, the more I write it, I think they're, they're kind of separate entities. Okay. I mean, the, the inconvenient truth is like, I, there's quite a lot of, people who read my newsletters who are like chief strategy officers at big agencies. And I know, I know they're reading it. They never share my content. They never talk about it, but they read every week. So, you know, a lot of my competition are Danny reading Danny Denhard said the exact same thing on his podcast. Did he? And he said, 
and I, I apologize, Danny, because I'm paraphrasing it. But he, he said that one of the struggles he had with growing it was because people didn't want to share it. Exactly. They, they, oh my didn't, they didn't want, they almost didn't want to admit that that's where they were getting their ideas from. 100%. 100%. That is single, but that's why if you read a couple of my editions, the amount of times I like literally call out like, please share this, please share this. And the only people that share it are lovely clients, you know, people who are brand side or kind of junior people who just like love the value and stuff like that. But the big dogs never share it. And that is the deep frustration because what, what annoys me is like, you know, it doesn't look bad on them if they share it. Like if, if I think a lot of them have the mindset as if they shared one of my posts, yeah. That, that one of their clients is going to go over to me. It's like, that's never going to happen. Like no. it's like a different end game. So I, I totally relate to that. And it is a deep frustration. I remember once actually I took it too far. I wrote a newsletter once. And at the end it's like, look, I know all you chief strategy. <laughs> you call I li- them out. Now, literally, I know all you're reading and you're never going to share it. Enjoy the content. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess you got to take it as a compliment. Yeah. But you know, it costs them nothing to shout on LinkedIn, doesn't it? That's all I'd say. No, no. But if it was, if it wasn't providing such value to them, they wouldn't be, uh, I mean, maybe keep it close to their chest. Maybe if it was terrible, they'd share it to destroy my agency. (laughs) (laughs) Like a bluff. (laughs) Okay. So you love it. Are there any newsletter writers out there that you would love to shadow for the day? I think it come back to Rex actually. Uh, And do you know him? No, I've, uh, we used to talk on Twitter a bit. So I kind of growth act my Twitter account ages ago. Okay. Uh, and we were on the same trajectory. So we talked a bit, um, but I don't know him personally. No, he's based in a, he's based in America somewhere. But, um, but no, I just, I just want to like figure out how the hell does that guy find time to like write, write and research something. So well, there you go. Okay. Touch in. I mean, that's a future, that's a future newsletter edition, right? Is the case study of Rex and Rex Woodbury. Is that his, that's his name, isn't it? Uh, yeah, Woodbury. Yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah. I should reach out and do a thing on him. Actually, that's. Yeah. I think because what you're doing is very is very interesting as well with your podcast. You know, you inter- you interview these different people with with followings. And it's a really clever way to do it. And I think maybe I should consider doing something like that as well. Actually, and I think talking to someone like Rex would be a great idea. Actually, yeah. there's a oh, what is her name? There's there's a woman called Chanel or something. I you might have heard her because I'm pretty sure she was on Colin and Samir. Yeah. And she writes a growth podcast, uh, sorry, a growth newsletter. Uh, and she basically um, analyzes how people have grown. Uh, Social followings new- and stuff. How, yeah. how newsletters have grown. Oh, wow. I need to read this. Yeah, okay. Um, I'll send you the link after, and I will also link to it in the show notes. Amazing. Um, oh, it's going to bug me. What's her name? That sounds right on my street, to be fair. Yeah. Hold on. Let me find it. Pro podcasting. Uh, there we go, Chanel. Uh, Growth in reverse. It's called Growth in Reverse. Let's have a look. But she talks about yeah newsletters and how they've grown and, and breaks down their, their how they've done it and the strategies and the rest of it. So it's, it's a really interesting read, and I think her growth as a result has been, has been pretty impressive. I heard her on a podcast recently, which I will find and also send to you. Because what she's it's clever. I love her CTA on her landing page, by the way. It's like, get the roadmap to replicate their growth and save 40 plus hours of research. I mean, that is such a strong call to action. Yeah. That's amazing. But what she'll be doing, obviously, is like she'll be writing about these creators who will then, some of them will then share her content. They do. They, yeah, they do. Yeah, they, yeah. I often see, um, or they'll engage with her posts. And the podcast I listen to, which totally escapes me, they said that on the 
uh, he asked her that is like how many people do it, and she said some some will DM her and talk to her, and others will share it. And she said even the ones who DM me is a positive thing because I'm then in their their network and you know and the rest of it. So it's a yeah, it's an interesting an yeah. interesting approach. So she's like almost like the Colin and Samir of newsletters. Well, I know they've got their own newsletter, but it's kind of she's similar. niched into that. Yeah, definitely yeah, niched into that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will. I, I will hunt the podcast down. I'll send it to you. Perfect. Thank I'm you, man. That sounds right on my street. That actually. But yeah, give Rex a shout, and then you can talk about his growth, and and you and you then you then you've made a friend as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, <laughs> I've, like he just launched his. Um, I mean, the power of community, right? He. Um, He's now at 50,000 readers and he's just launched his own venture capitalist fund. Okay. So he's got a, a like a Discord uh, full of fa- high value founders, CMO, yeah. people like you, you know, and now he's got a venture fund off the back of it. So, uh, yeah, it shows the power of community, doesn't it? It does. It does. Do you see, do you see yourself doing something similar in the future? Uh, I don't know. As I said, there's no end game for me. I just want to see it, how consistent I can keep it. Uh, there are, I mean... I think we talked about it before we went on air. There's the great community marketing meetup, isn't there? So I think that's already been done. Yeah. I don't I don't think I could do a better job than they do. I really like Joe. I think he's a lovely guy and I think he does amazing things with what he does say. I've got no interest in that really. I just see how far I can get it and just have you have you spoken on there? Yeah, I shared with him that that um community is a con thing. Yeah. Where I actually show why community building is hugely powerful. I sent that to him and he he read it and he said, Yeah, I love it. It's a really good read. Um that's the only in, uh, discourse we've had. I said, you know, I'm I would love to get involved with the marketing meetup if you ever want me to do a talk or help. Yeah. But I think he, he's so he's so big now. I just think you get so much inbound. I think like he probably doesn't know who I am to be honest. But yeah. I, I I don't know. I disagree with that. I think and, and take this in the manner of which it's meant. But the, they've just released their next season, hmm. and there was quite a few people on there I'd never heard of before. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, there was there was definitely some big names. Um, but yeah, I can imagine they, they get inundated with people uh, requesting to talk. Yeah, well, he was ahead of... What I love about Joe is like, whether it was by accident or intentional, he was just so ahead of the curve. Like community building is like, everyone's trying to do it. You know, everywhere, maybe it's the people I follow on LinkedIn. Everyone is trying to grow on LinkedIn. Everyone is trying to do a news like podcast, whatever. And he's just yeah. like so ahead of the curve. And I just think like that guy was like an absolute genius what he did. Well, do you, know what, do you know why I think he's been so successful? So him and James... Both have been guests on this podcast, actually. Uh, name drop. The reason I think they've been so successful is because I think they were so authentic in the way they did it, and it wasn't. 100%. It wasn't a commercial, commercially driven, at all cost thing. And I think it, I think their intentions were actually pure. One hundred percent. That's yeah. why. I like, that's what I like about Joe. Like you can see, like. What, if I can be really blunt, like what I hate now is you see a lot of people trying to grow a following to commercialize it. Yeah. Like, you know, throw them in a Slack group, blah, blah, blah. With Joe, it's all about, you know, I, I remember reading the site. I remember hearing him on a podcast, might have been yours actually, where he talks about the reason he did it is he just felt like a bit isolated and lonely as a marketer because mm-hmm. he wasn't in London, was he? He was out in the no. stick somewhere. And I think it does, as you say, come from a place from real authenticity and people want that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They value that, I think. So I think he's great. I think what they've done is amazing. Yeah. Really you raise a really interesting point there about the community aspect and how people are just trying to grow to monetize. It's almost a bit of a scourge on society at the moment. Yeah, I think I think it's not. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not a scourge. I mean, people want to make a living, right? I mean, there, well, there are varying degrees of it. There are some total scourges, uh, which, is like, <laughs> which is like people just like 
you know, like trying to sell copywriting courses for LinkedIn. It's like, oh, yeah. whatever. Um, or people selling personal branding courses. I, sorry to be saying I guess, I guess, I guess what I meant by scourge, just to clarify, like, <laughs> I'll get cancelled for that now. Yeah, you, you might you might want to edit that out of the podcast. To be fair, yeah. I guess what I was trying to say was um, people are trying to grow to monetize, and I get it. Like everyone has to make a living. Yeah. But what people are selling is not always that original. Yeah. Or 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 stand out. I guess. Yeah. Well, that's interesting you say that because that, that's the point I was going to make, which is. What I'm trying to what I'm trying to figure out now. I think the obvious thing now would be to build a community or something, right? Yeah. But everyone's doing it. I'm trying yeah. to figure out what is the next thing. So if you started a community ten years ago, you're absolutely you know you're ahead of the curve. But I, the, there has to be something that comes next. I haven't worked out what that is. But yeah. I think figuring out what the next thing is and not trying to build yet another community is like the is the white space. But that's like predicting the future. I'm I'm it's trying to keep an eye on what that might be. I think it's funny you bring that up. I, I'm doing the same. I'm thinking like that. I'm like trying to. I feel like I've missed so many trends over the last 20 years from, yeah. you know, whether it's community to Bitcoin to whatever. And, and I'm, I'm trying to rack my brains now, or, you know, even just audience building or content creation or whatever it is. Like if, even if you started on LinkedIn five years ago, the organic reach was so powerful that actually building an audience was probably in real terms, pretty easy. Oh, 10 times easier, I reckon, easily. It was even easier. I reckon, when did you start yourself on uh, LinkedIn, Chris? When did you start taking it seriously? I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it, but I, I probably, I don't know, a year ago. Yeah, about, so I was probably a bit less than you, so I started in November. I'm yeah. sure, you, do you not think the same? I think when you first started, it was a lot easier than it is now. It yes. is, it's, it's, they've, it's so much harder to cut through now on LinkedIn, I think. Do you know, oh, this is an interesting topic. Do you know what I really don't understand mm. is why... Actually, let me rephrase it. I do understand to a certain degree why they do it, but I also don't understand why these social networks throttle organic reach so much. Well, yeah, you know why they do it because they get. No, I know, I know, but I, I feel like, I feel like there's there's a there's a balance somewhere where they get their revenue from paid spend. Yeah. Whereas in the people like myself and yourself, we're not going to pay to put our personal posts in front of an audience. No. Like Nike and. Reebok and whoever, yeah, they might do. And I just feel like they're all competing with each other. And like for me, I feel like one of the biggest growth hacks they could all apply is just boosting organic reach for for Joe Public. Well, do you know what? That's that's it's really interesting you raise that point. So I'm sure you've seen that LinkedIn is kind of making some interesting moves at the moment. Mm -hmm. So I, I think uh, I used to love Twitter. I think Twitter's an absolute dumpster fire now. And my I don't know if you agree with this, but I think a lot of people have transitioned from Twitter into LinkedIn. So you have yeah. you have seen a lot more people active on LinkedIn recently. Even the people that make, makes me laugh. There used to be people who used to call out people like me, call them LinkedIn bro, LinkedIn bros, or whatever. <laughs> even those guys, are, even those guys are now on LinkedIn posting. Yeah. But what LinkedIn's doing now is they have a couple of things. They've got a new creator program okay. uh, where you can become a every ninety days you can become a top voice in a niche, or they have the the golden. Did I see you get one of those? Was that, that was you yesterday, uh, day before? Yeah, I got a top voice for brand strategy, uh, yeah. which was cool. I was totally unexpected. I was, yeah, I was pretty blown away to get that. Actually, I, all that all that spamming of content uh, <laughs> paid off in the end, um, which is great. So they've got that, but also there is, I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but there is like a a proper creator. So there's the LinkedIn there's the LinkedIn creator thing where everyone knows about. I think where you can go and work with LinkedIn directly for uh, six weeks and they'll train you up. 
You know, they'll yeah. select so many people in a cohort. I haven't applied for that, to be honest, but I know people have done it. Then the other thing I've heard off the off the radar is when you get to a certain level and if they like your content, they will actually work with you and tell you about changes to the algorithm, you know, and they'll even give you new tools and stuff like that. Because what they are trying to do, LinkedIn, to be fair, I think they see what's happening in Twitter yes. and what a dumpster fire is. And I think they are trying to champion people who are creating high value content. Because in my opinion, and I, again, I apologize to any of your listeners who get offended by this, I think LinkedIn's biggest problem right now is there are a lot of people with like 100,000 followers. Like, I'm not going to name names. There's one guy in the marketing niche. He's like in his early 20s. He's got over 120,000 followers. All he does every day is post a meme about marketing. It's just like the most low. It's funny, but it's just like super low value content. And I think LinkedIn, and I hope this is the case, I, I think they're getting to the point where they're trying to grow the quality of content, kind of like YouTube, yeah. and reduce that kind of cat video equivalent content you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, are you happy to talk about your link your approach to linkedin you rather i i can do but i don't think i'm the best but i mean there's people that have grown far quicker than me chris but i'm happy to talk about it yeah i know but maybe but i am curious i mean i i like i said before i have a bit of a love-hate relationship with linkedin i do see the value yeah and i i think one of the things i hated and why i stopped posting i went through a phase i was posting every day and I found myself slipping into the trap of posting something and it wasn't quite as low threshold as um, a, a meme or a cat video sometimes <laughs> probably, but Chris, if you did, I wouldn't fight, we wouldn't be connected, mate. So I, don't I just, I don't know. I'm just trying to work out how I, I see the value in it. And I, I think I'm trying to take away stuff is how to grow. Like what have you seen that works? How's your approach to it? Because um, you post very regularly, right? Well, I don't post every day. Uh, no. I post three times a week now. So I post on Monday, Wednesday. And is that is that a, a planned number? No, it's because I'm too busy on my day job. Okay. Uh, so some of the, as you know, some of the people on LinkedIn, it's their full time job, right? So they're they're on yeah. it seven days a week, grinding it out. I don't have the capacity to do that. You know, I've, I'm currently working on six clients as well as doing what I'm doing on LinkedIn. So I just don't have the time. Um, and also, I'm, it comes back to kind of what I said about the newsletter. Uh, I, I just think it's like fewer, bigger, better. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. post less often, but post high value content. But even then, like I, 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 that's why I was like, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it, but I don't think I'm the best person because I, I, I can't figure it out. So I was like stuck at 8,000 followers for a long time. And then I had one carousel that went really well, got about 600 interactions, like a couple of hundred thousand impressions, which was good. Yeah. Got a few K subscribers off it. I'm like, right, well, this is the secret, right? And so I doubled down on this and it just plateaued. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I can't, I can't work it out. And then there's a guy, I'm, yeah, I won't name his name, but there's a really good guy in my niche. He went from 2K to 20K in, in, in next to no time. Yeah. And I'm like, what's the point? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I've, I've been grinding far longer. But I, I have this theory about LinkedIn that the people who grow are the ones selling the shovels. And what I mean by that is the ones who are talking about how to, grow on, how to grow, grow on LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Yeah. whether that's copywriting, whether that's carousel design, whether that's uh, whatever. And they're almost like shooting fish in a barrel that is LinkedIn because, oh, everyone wants to grow. But, but the, the funny thing is that, again, it comes back to what we talked about before about value of audience versus value of size of audience. Yeah. So if you look at a lot of those kids, because they're often very young kids, right? They're around about in their early 20s. We talk about LinkedIn and that, you know, don't get me wrong. They're good at what they do. I give them every credit for that. But yeah. I think the thing, the reason I would never go down that road is if you look at their audience who interacts on their comments, yeah. half of them are ghostwriters or LinkedIn experts. And it's the same people talking to the same people. 
uh, in this like weird sort of like bubble. Echo chamber. And that's why I've never been tempted to go down that how to grow on LinkedIn content route because I just stick to what I know, stick to my niche and try and attract like a high value audience, I think. Oh, I get that. Well, I think what I'm trying to make point out is a lot of people compare themselves to those people. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And thinking, why, why, you know, I'm talking about whatever, whatever. Why am I not growing at the same rate? But actually, because your target audience is smaller, you're never going to. Well, that raises a good question, actually. Have you ever come across anyone? Well, like Mark... Mark Ritson's the only one who's got a massive. Maybe Mark Ritson's the only one who's got a massive following, and he's and he and he's an expert in what he does, isn't he? So yeah, he's one of the few exceptions of like really owning a niche but having a massive audience. But you know, it's because he's got a very reputable CV, amazing experience, and he he's, and similar to Stephen. You know, we were talking about Stephen Bartlett before we went on air, yeah. and how he he publicizes the hell out of his podcast to drive reach and following, whatever. You know, you could argue Mark Ritson. I hope Mark Ritson hears this one day because he's going to hate this. In a, <laughs> oh, in a, he's, a regular, he's a regular listener, Will, don't worry. <laughs> but I, I, in a way, hear me out, Mark Ritson is kind of like the Stephen Bartlett of LinkedIn because um, he has Marketing Week. Every week yeah. he writes that um, new, that column that promotes his own personal brand and drives ultimately to LinkedIn or his social platforms. Yeah. His content is far better for marketing than Stephen Bartlett, but... Um, but I think, you know, they, that's the reason he's allowed to grow. I think, I think the big thing is like finding ways to grow off platform is the way to do it. But yeah. I, haven't got, I haven't got the time or experience to do that, really. So. Well, that's the time, and, time, money and experience, right? I mean, that's, that's a full-time job. You're basically asking yeah. to market yourself like some of the companies we work with to market themselves. And, and you know, they've got 100 people marketing teams working there. It's just... It is, it is funny, though. Like one thing I, w- I will say, there's a guy that I follow in America who's a copywriter. He writes really good content about advertising. Right, and he was only writing about advertising. Then I saw he's at four, run about forty thousand followers now, uh, and he suddenly started going. Oh yeah, and by the way, now I do LinkedIn ghostwriting. So even he's like, I'll oh, just give you the money and shut up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so that there is this temptation, or like a lot of people get tempted by the quick money or the quick wins and fall into it. Do you know what I mean? Here's a question for you then: mm-hmm. How much money do you actually think is in LinkedIn ghostwriting? And I ask that because there seems to be. A, so many, and B, I don't know anyone who pays, who's openly admitted to me anyway, pays to have their LinkedIn post written. Or, uh, or how much would you pay for that service? Well, I know um, definitely some of these bigger, so some of the bigger creators are definitely getting ghostwriters on. Stephen Bartlett doesn't write his own post. No, but I would imagine that he's probably got someone in his team creating his own content. That's true. He doesn't have an agency probably yet. Yeah. Although, you know, the guy that helped grow Stephen Bartlett's podcast has got a personal branding agency. Yeah, Ash Jones, yeah. Ash, yeah, he's really good. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've heard I've heard some of these, it might all be smoke and mirrors, but I've heard some of them are charging from five to 10K a month per client. It's and that's what up. I'm hearing. Well, I'm hearing that probably from them. Yeah. Like on LinkedIn. Yeah. And this is what I'm trying to work out is, is it actually a lucrative business or is it all smoke and mirrors and they're just faking it till they make it? I think it will. I think it might be a bit of smoke and mirrors. I like that old set. It's not a saying, but it's a phrase, isn't it? Where like when you, when people are posting a lot or when people are really noisy, they're not that busy when it's the quiet ones that are making the money. Right. Yeah. So I'm sure there'll be amazing ghostwriters out there who aren't like on the platform all the time, bigging themselves up, who are probably making quite decent money. Yes. But the, but the 21 year old with the fluorescent background and the cut out profile picture, (laughs) who has a name, something like uh, helping you to exponentially grow your personal brand, blah, blah, blah. You know, 
they're probably not making that much money. So I reckon, well, <laughs> like anything, there's a market, there's a market for it, right? So there'll yeah. be people making money out of it, but I think it's the people we probably don't know. I imagine. I just, I was trying to work out in my head how much I would pay for that service. And I guess it depends on anything, right? It depends what the ROI is. Yeah. yeah. When you, when you see that they're getting clients are paying three, four, five grand a month. I don't know. That number doesn't quite stack up in my mind, but. So I'll tell you if, I'm probably going over now. Sorry, Chris. I'm probably boring you. No, no, mate. You're good. Um, time in the world. So, what is funny? So, I we have an office in Soho. It's part of a co-working space, right? Yeah. And randomly, you know, getting a coffee and just get talking to people. And one of them works out a LinkedIn ghostwriting, a like personal branding slash LinkedIn sort of growth agency. And what's interesting about that is they have. They didn't tell me who the clients were, but he basically, you know, they've got a few high-profile clients, like. Um, and what's interesting though is it's all these like little ghostwriters that work together and you'll notice you can spot it a mile off because all these big really good creators you know really good influencers or whatever on linkedin you'll yeah. notice that the same influencers are commenting on each other's posts all the time yes. yeah. and that's not yeah they might be mates but the real reason is they're all at the same ghostwriting agency or linkedin agency uh, right? okay that's for me what i think happens yeah interesting Okay, we'll move on before we upset the rest of LinkedIn. Yeah, I've just lost. I've just lost five thousand followers. Thanks for this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking my questions out of order, which is why I'm kind of going off track a little bit. But no, it's all good. I haven't asked you about standing out, have I? What's the best way to stand out from the crowd with the newsletter? Um, it's a good question. Do you think I'm standing out? I don't know. Maybe I'm not. I do. I don't know. No. <laughs> no, no, I do. No, you do because, like I said, you're one of the few that I actually read regularly. Yeah. But I guess from my point of view and my listeners and viewers' point of view, I'm trying to work out what you've done to make that happen. Has it been something you've thought about, or is it just you know you said earlier you've been working in this industry a long time and actually your knowledge and experience is at a level now that you know has that kind of trust factor and that 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 wisdom that you don't get in a someone with less experience i don't know well that that's that's what i'm going for so i think the only ace up my sleeve is my experience really mm. well that that and the ability to simplify stuff so i think i'm very fortunate as i said to what i've worked with like nike adidas matter Amazon. i've worked on some that's some pretty cool brands right won awards and strategy and stuff like that but the problem with a lot of strategists is the very ivory tower and yeah, they're very overly complicated or they're like yeah. a bit ego driven, whatever. Maybe it's because I'm Northern, right? Or maybe it's because I'm <laughs> dyslexic. I don't know, but I have a great ability to take the complex, make it really simple and understanding. But then I always back it up with experience. I think, I think the problem with a lot of newsletters is either people write in a niche they don't know about and, and it's just low value content. So hopefully the reason I'm going to, I am standing out. I mean, I get a good referral rate, which is good is because um, I write about what I know, but I write about it hopefully in quite an interesting way. Like, you know, I always re- reread my newsletter three to four times to make sure it flows really well and it's like very readable. So, and I, and I think, you know, I'm not, unfortunately I'm not writing about like football or something way more interesting, but I do have that in mind where I'm trying to take something like a brand, but tell it in a really interesting, captivating way. You know, I'm always trying to make sure that people get to the end of the newsletter yeah. in, the, in the style that I write, you know. So, so I, think, I, I think, you know, how do I stand out? It's probably my experience working with those great brands, awards and all that. And then, just making it accessible. Like we don't need another overly complicated planner strategist in the world. I think. Yeah. I, I like the making complex things simple. Yeah. 
because I think a lot of people do it the other way around. They, they they try it, try and make them sound, make themselves sound brighter. Or that's 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 the biggest red flag for me in strategy. If you ever come across a, a strategy guru online and they're using big flowery language or complex words, yeah. they're just masking their lack of lack of understanding <laughs> or real experience. No, look, I've been really lucky. I've had some of the best bosses in the world, and I'm not going to name names, but I've had some terrible bosses. And the yeah. thing that separates them. The really good ones, oh, they're so good at it, they can just distill it down into a really simple, powerful thing. The yeah. bad ones, you know, they're going writing campaign, they're writing campaign magazine every week, a really complicated essay. But when it comes to like cold face strategy, absolute rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never gonna work it. How my agency works out, I'm never gonna get hired. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Uh where are we up to? Okay. If someone asked you, could they and they wanted to start their own newsletter? What would you say to them? I actually, I always, I'm always curious. Do many people ask you? Uh, yeah. So a few people have. Yeah. Since yeah. the beginning of the year, probably about ten people have asked me. And is this people you know, like sort of in in the professional world, or is it people outside of the professional world? Every, every, every all walks of life, Chris. So, okay. so you've got everything from my mate at home. So he's in a totally different uh, sector. He's like mega brain he's like a phd in computer science uh, phd in like a statistic modeling works in the energy sector okay and he's like i'm going to start you know if you can we're all mates so we have a bit of fun he's like if you can write a newsletter i definitely can what do i do and i'm like all right. <laughs> and i said well your problem mate is you're a bit complicated keep it simple keep it entertaining yeah. um now the thing i always say to people is like be careful I know you probably think it's a lot of work. It's more work than you think it is. So I was talking to one of our lovely clients the other day. They've got a big database in the sports niche, um, a current customer database of about 700,000 in the UK. And they're like, oh yeah, they want me to write. She's like head of brand or like VP marketing, quite very senior. And she's like, um, oh, they want me to write the newsletter as well because it's a scale up, all hands on day. I'm like, you might want to hire someone. It's going to take a lot of your time. So the advice I give is, it's going to take, it's, like, it's harder than you think. It does take a lot of work. Yeah. I think I might be wrong, but my hypothesis, the world doesn't need another email with like three top tips three times a week. So yeah. do it fewer and better and play to your strengths. Like I think Chris, you know, be honest, like if I was writing a newsletter about how to bake cupcakes, you would never read it. Cause I, you know, I'm terrible at it, but I think hopefully you read it cause I've got a bit of credibility and experience and I'm authentic with it as well. So it's hard work. Um, fewer is better high quality and play to your strengths. I think that's always the advice I would give. Solid advice. I like that. Thank you, mate. Final question for you, Will. If we spoke again in 12 months and you said to me, do you know what? It's been a really successful year for Grow Club. What would have happened? Let's be ambitious. I'm going to go for 10,000 readers. That's what I'm aiming for. Okay. This probably won't happen, but... Because uh, unless those agency CSOs start sharing my newsletter, which they won't... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. just... As I said, it's, for me, it's about the process, taking action every week. But if I was to put an arbitrary figure on it, let's just put 10K on the wall, see if we can do that. You, you mentioned that, I, just going back to a previous question, you said something about your referral rate, rate was really good. Is that something you actively work on? Because I, I mean, I know the power of referral and word of mouth, obviously, as I'm sure you do. Mm-hmm. It's a metric that doesn't get talked about a lot. But obviously, you look at it, and I was wondering your thoughts on it is it something you're actively trying to to encourage yeah i I think um it's super interesting isn't it you know having worked on big brands and they always tell you that loyalty is dead and it's all about reach blah 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 
Mm. But when you do something like a newsletter, it's t- in a weird way, it's kind of inverse because actually, yeah. you know, loyalty and advocacy um, is the most important thing. Because going back to your point before that there are so many newsletters that, that you are subscribed to, but there's only a handful that you'll read. Yeah. Um, and I think testimonial and word of mouth and recommendation from someone you trust gets that email opened. And then it's down to the content, obviously. But that's why I think referrals are so important. Yeah. Because at the moment, you know, I drive a lot of top of funnel through LinkedIn. Because I'll do like good quality content, want my best, come in here, which is good. But I think it's still some random bloke on LinkedIn talking about strategy. Do you know what I mean? But if your mate was like, oh, Will Poskett's Grow Club, it's really good, check it out. You're more likely to give it a go. So I think referral is, it's the hardest thing to do because, sorry, if anyone listening to this reads my newsletter, don't take this wrong way. But like, it's hard because people are busy and, you know, you showing their newsletter is probably far down on their priority list in, in their busy life. But if you can get them to do it, and I'm still trying to figure that out, it's good, but I'm trying to get it better. Yeah. And get them to do that, I think it's um that is the key to real growth, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, thank you for sharing so much insight and information today. You haven't let me down. It's been a great episode. If anyone wants to come and say hi to you, check out what you're up to. Where should I point them? LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn or the newsletter, probably LinkedIn. Uh, okay. And then if you I will want... link, I will link to both in the show yeah. notes, obviously. So on LinkedIn, like um, I post, yeah, as I said, three times a week, trying to like just offer some free value, kind of explaining what strategy works. I do breakdowns of like famous brands and creators and stuff, which is always like top level, obviously. Uh, but then if you want the the best stuff, I think the newsletter is the way to go. Yeah, I would agree, and I would encourage everyone to go and check it out. Will, oh, thank, thank you, you for your time. Thank you so much, mate. That was 10Q interview with Will Poskett. If you made it to the end, thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sure you did, hence you're still being here. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q interview everywhere you may look. That's all from me for now. Make sure you've subscribed wherever you're listening to this and the next 10Q interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Take care. Bye.